Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling University. I want to say a huge thanks to everyone who's been listening so far. It's been an awesome learning experience for me and I hope it has for you as well. Before we get started, as always, I want to say a huge thank you to Ring of Honor Wrestling who have been phenomenal throughout this pandemic situation. They've, you know, supported the roster in an unbelievable way. Um, you know, it's kind of, there's a lot of uncertainty during this time, but for me, for example, rather than letting me go, they've got me working on stuff continuously. I've got a show called Technique Tuesdays, where I kind of take apart the the moves and the techniques that you see on the show and kind of present them in like a sports analysis way. So and check that out on Ring of Honor's YouTube if you get a chance, I'd really appreciate that. But just I feel it's important to kind of put them over a bit because I don't think they get enough credit for how well they've been treating the roster and how safe they've been as well with the protocols um, in the, the pandemic. We've got the ROH bubble so everybody is you know kept safe and there's just rigorous testing working in conjunction with the commissions. They're doing an awesome job so check out Ring of Honor Wrestling and go join Honor Club. Also if you want to support what we're doing here at Inside the Ropes head over to the shop um, so just head over to itrwrestling.com and go to the shop um, and then grab yourself some ITR Wrestling merch. Uh, that's the best way to support the podcast if you want to do that. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Tom, how are you this week? Doing great, Joe. Glad to talk to you again. Good stuff. Good to catch up. We were chatting a little bit about the business there, about your training school, my training school, and it got me thinking about the people that you've trained and you've trained athletes you've trained wrestlers but you've also am i right in saying that you had to train your boss uh well at that time yes vince mcmahon uh his his first match uh, against stone cold steve austin now <clears throat> yeah uh vince pardon me <coughs> obviously was uh, a, a huge fan of the business is why he wanted to be in the business. And, uh, his favorite wrestler growing up was Dr. Jerry Graham dyed his hair blonde. And, and he had been around characters. He'd been around, um, uh, the flamboyant part of the business and seeing the way it worked and seeing, uh, uh, how the boys acted and, and reacted in the fifties and, and all the way up through the time he started promoting himself. But uh, Vince certainly was not a natural, and he knew he needed some kind of training and some kind of uh, uh, coaching prior to the match with Austin, whether it was learning how to take bumps or learning how to throw a punch or learning how to how to just protect himself as well as Steve in the ring. So, pardon me, uh, again, this was shortly after Titan Sports wanted to – uh, developed their own monster fat, not monster factory, um, WCW power, power plant. plant. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I had the chance to, to train Vince and he wanted to train all hours of the day and all hours of the night sometimes. And, uh, I, I went by his schedule. So, um, it was, it was very interesting and, uh, opening at the same time we've all heard about his insane work ethic were you did you know it was going to be like that or were you surprised by the amount he wanted to train no i wasn't surprised at all i, I did know about his odd hours and i don't know if it was necessarily the amount 
of time he wanted to put in. I think it was just the time of day or time of night. I was prepared for that. I was living in uh, Stamford, Connecticut, right downtown, uh, not not far at all from the office, uh, five minutes from the office, five minutes from the studio. So I was I was a phone call away, and uh, I, that was that was my job. So. Uh, it was it was a very cool job to have at that time, especially in '96, '97, and be able to be around uh, Titan Towers. Had an office on the fourth floor. Uh, we had the the ring set up in the warehouse, and <clears throat> it was uh, that that was all I had to do. So I mean, I w- I was prepared for it because I knew about his work ethic. I knew about the hours he kept, and I knew that sometimes, you know, he would get in the office at eight, uh, sometimes earlier, and he would be the last guy to leave too. And after after his uh, his day job, so to speak, uh, he wanted to go over to the to the ring and and work out and and say, "I'll meet you there at nine thirty at night." And he wouldn't show up sometimes till 11, 11.30 or even midnight. But, you know, I'd, I would wait for him. And and, and that was that was part of it. And, and that was um, when I first got there to, to Titan Towers, you know, my brother had been there for a long time. And, and, and I had heard the stories, not just from him, but from other people about the insane hours. And, and it was a 24-hour uh, job. I mean, it really was. And I... I expected that. I understood that, and um, I, I, I was I was prepared mentally for it. And then once it actually happened, uh, I just did it. So I know I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised. I just uh, took to it, engaged it, and uh, and went forward. How was his approach to wrestling different <clears throat> to training? you know, like some of the other stars that you've trained. Was there anything notable about his approach or the way he processed what you were teaching him? No, I, I, I think he, uh, Vince is, is one of those people. And I've met people like Vince before. Uh, and we, we could talk about all day long about they breathe rarefied air. And they do. They, they're in a whole different stratosphere. Um, but Vince's talent, I think, is his ability to empathize as well as sympathize with you when, he, when you need it or when he feels that you need it. He would come in and he would know if, if – he say, let's, let's meet at nine 30. He would know if he got there at midnight, I had been there probably since nine or eight 30. I would get there early anyway. So he knew I had been there for a while and he would apologize. He's, he owns the company. He doesn't have to apologize to anybody, especially me, but he would apologize and he would realize it's late and he would know, but he would stretch out. He would take a good 30 minutes to stretch out and then he wanted to walk around and we would walk around and lock up and we would uh, do what I do with a lot of people when you first get in there. Just see what you got, body movement and uh, body language. Um, Vince certainly was not a natural. He was clumsy, very rigid, very stiff. Uh, and even say, loosen up, relax. It's OK, come on, pal. Come on, pal. And then he, he would be all over the place. But. <clears throat> but that's what made Vince unique. And uh, besides being the boss, he he wasn't 
a polished wrestler. He shouldn't have been yeah. a polished wrestler. He shouldn't look like a trained it's wrestler. Like that, that you could argue things are too polished nowadays, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And and Vince certainly had that that um, rough edge to him, and he he knew um, where where he and Austin were going to go with it. Uh, so I, I there wasn't I wasn't going to start. Showing Vince basic basic stuff, he he would do some rolls and and he knew how to bump or he took a few bumps, but the basic gist of it was just locking up and walking and and talking in the ring. So um, he he took to it, but he certainly was not going to be that uh, uh, polished Shawn Michaels by any stretch of the imagination. When you were thinking about so with that in mind. What were your thoughts when it came to putting a move set together for for Vince McMahon? Did you yeah, have any we, thoughts or No, no, I knew we, we weren't gonna put a move set, so to speak. We were gonna put the match together, whatever ideas uh that we had for a match. And and I don't recall exactly what that was right now. I just recall that we we went through ideas and, and grabbed a headlock and hit the ropes and uh kick me and, and he gave me a couple stunners because he knew that was gonna be part of the match too. And he took a couple stunners. Um we we I know when he went for the cage match with Austin, we set the the cage up around the ring. And we practiced the bump off the cage onto the table, and, and we measured it and got the exact measurements. And I, I remember him—I remember him, Vince, taking the bump off the cage in the studio uh, onto the crash pad where the table would be. And he hit it three times in a row, and he did great. And then the night of the match, when he took the bump, he landed on the edge of the table and bruised the living hell out of his back. So um, there wasn't a move set, but there was a the match and, and what was going to take place in the match. And the reason they had to have that together is because, again, it was pay-per-view and, and you have to know where your, your camera angles are going to be and uh, how much time you have. So that was that was the... Uh, mechanics of that we if we had i don't recall maybe it was 18 minutes or something like that but you know we we would walk through that but he wasn't certainly wasn't going to be held to a uh, uh a script or he wasn't going to be held to this 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 and this we might do this we might do this we might do that we'll definitely do this and uh then get with steve and go over it all so that was that was how that worked, and that that it was a uh, uh, take it as it came, and and we did. Did you have to liaise with Steve Austin at all? Like, did his vision match the vision that that you had both <clears throat> had, or was there some sort of disagreement there? Or oh no 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 disagreement at all. Yeah, I think everybody was on the same page. The the idea. Um, uh, what was to to get Vince and Austin together, and obviously Steve had his own ideas, and um, they they, from what I remember, everything worked matched perfectly, and I, I just remember before the match, uh, at the arena, I was with Vince, uh, helping him, helping him get one thing prepared, and uh, Steve came in and said, okay. We'll do the Zabada, the Furnum, and the Snavitz in there, and you're going to come in and blah, 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 blah. 
And that's what he said is blah, 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 blah. And uh, Vince says, yeah, okay, and walked out. So they had already talked, and uh, they already had the match. So everybody was on the same page. And uh, even saying, we'll do the Zabadah and the Furnace Nave and, and the blah, 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 right? You know, well, okay, well, they knew what it meant. Uh, I, I had an idea what it meant because Steve didn't want to just repeat the moves and, yeah. and everybody knew what was going on. So, uh, yeah, I, they were both on the same page. And, and Vince, obviously the, the consummate pro, besides me and the boss, he, he wouldn't ask anybody to do anything he wouldn't do. And um, so it, it, was, it was put together uh, with both of their visions intact. Excellent. Um, did you learn anything about? Like, I've always, I've always been curious. Um, did he take a sort of student of the game mentality? Like, was it easy for him? You said he, he can empathize and sympathize. Was it easy for him to not be the boss for a second and be and go into that student role, or was or was there a bit of both? Or yeah, it was. It was never a uh, uh, a student role, so to speak. It was more of a performer's role and as the boss. And what I meant by empathize and sympathize, he always made me feel at home. Uh, he could joke. He could laugh. He could be self-defacing. Uh, he, could, he could take a joke. He would make a joke at his own expense. But... Um, I always knew he was the boss. He was an intimidating guy. And it wasn't until we started training uh, all, at various hours of the day and night that I got to see that that he is the boss. He has to have this uh, image and perception in order to lead the way he needs to lead. He, he, he has to be unwavering at times. And then he has to be sympathetic at times. And when he gets the empathy of, oh, man, I know, and I feel it, I understand. And he makes you feel it, too. He makes you feel that he feels it. And, and that, I think, is, is the trait of a great communicator, knowing how to, how to connect. And uh, he, he knows where he wants to go. So in order to make that journey, what do you have to do to, to, to make it a good one and productive one? And um, some people pack a lunch and, and have a picnic along the way. Vince will come in and, and work his ass off. And uh, uh, the picnic is, is getting to know him and getting to talk about uh, how you're feeling that day. And uh, let's move on to practice. Let's get it done. And are you okay, pal? Everything good? And have a, a, a conversation about everything but nothing at the yeah. same time. You know what I mean? And, and that, that's, that was a trait that, um, uh, that, that made Vince Vince. He was, he was that guy. He, you know, you could see him on the, on the fourth floor and say hello, and he would be – very business and and three hours later he would be coming in the office and want to talk and laugh i mean for whatever reason whatever reason he had i don't think he just he would make his way over to the office just to tell a joke or laugh or anything there was a reason a purpose yeah. behind it uh but it was a method he used and he knew how to be 
Vince in the conference room. He knew how to be Vince in the ring. He knew how to be Vince when it's just you and him one-on-one talking about uh, uh, whatever you need to talk about. He knew how to make it work. I've always wondered about super successful people. I hear like one of the common traits is that they're able to segment what they're doing. So even though they've got a million things to worry about, they're able to be focused on that thing. Was With everything that, that Vince had on his plate, was he able to give 100% to that and put the other things to the side? Or was he having to deal with all these things while you were training? No, I, I believe Vince knew how to compartmentalize and he knew how to focus. And that that is certainly a trait that... Uh, that's shown up in his DNA uh, all these years. Even, even in the most tragic time, he was he was. I, I want to say unwavering, um, but I don't know if that's that's the right emotion or right word. You know, uh, I, I've seen I've only seen one time. I've only seen Vince cry or show real emotion one time. That was at Freddie Blassie's funeral. And uh, Ann Russo and I went from the office to the funeral. And, and we, we actually, Ann and I went uh, to go see Freddie in the hospital uh, right before Freddie died, the week before he passed away. And at Freddie's funeral, Vince got up, made a heartfelt statement, and asked everybody to to rise and give Freddie a standing ovation for the last time. And uh, tears were coming down his face, and, and that's the only time. So I know he has feelings, and I know he has emotion, and, and he's very passionate about the people he loves and cares about. So uh, that that's something that he does have and is capable of showing. At the same time, I, I don't... Uh, that that's what makes people like him so special. You have to to realize that, um, especially as a publicly traded company now, and and when it became a publicly traded company, things changed. You you're responsible not just for your employees and your family, but you have shareholder interest. Now. Shareholder interest. I mean, it, it's it's the whole. Uh, the building blocks, and, and and if you neglect one, you know that it comes out. You neglect another, and it just kind of it it, it falls in line, and then the, and it all falls down. So he's able to do that, but uh, I think successful people like that understand that. And, and the old saying is, they may not remember what you say, but they remember how you made how you made them feel, yeah. and that's true. And Vince, I I I, I truly believe. Um, understood that, and I think anybody who's worked for him in a close capacity, and I, I didn't work with him uh, like a Jericho or an Austin or certainly a Hogan or, or a Shawn Michaels or Triple H, but anybody who works with him in that close capacity, I think they would tell you the same thing. He's passionate, and if he believes in something, He'll follow through, and and he'll keep that belief until something in the cosmos tells him not to. And whatever unseen force or, or whatever uh, intuition he has, he uses it well. He do, he uses it to his advantage. And in, in most businesses that he's ventured into, I mean, the XFL was on track to to have a, COVID, a pretty yeah, yeah pretty decent um, 
resurgence, and then all of a sudden this this pandemic hit. So, but then he adjusted, and I'm sure it was heartbreaking to let Jerry Briscoe go, and I'm sure it was heartbreaking to have to let people go. But, uh, you know, he he's he's in that position, and it's a tough position, but he's in that position for a reason, and he he's successful for a reason, and and nobody knows until you actually have to, you know push that button, pull that trigger, whatever it is. And uh, that that's what makes people like him so special. I was going to ask Tom, I've heard, you know, I've read a lot of wrestlers' books and podcasts and things like that, and they talk about how they have, you know, how they built a relationship with management or Vince McMahon, you know, in the case of the WWE. Um, but then again, it's hard to know as a talent, regardless of what company you're in, who you can have that type of rapport with. Are there any examples of any wrestlers that you thought they got it right? They were respectful, but they knew how to stand up for themselves. It's something socially I've always kind of in the business, I've I've found it difficult to know, you know, when am I, when am I supposed to fight for this? When am I supposed to just, just do, you know, be the company guy? Because I've found if you're too much the company guy, it's to your detriment. And then if you're, you know, if you're causing problems too often, then it's to your detriment also. Who would you say had a good balance? Uh, Jericho, definitely. Steve Austin, definitely. Uh, Hunter, definitely. Triple H, certainly. Um, Shawn Michaels. But, but what I have observed through the years, number one, you must have confidence and courage. And I think personally, you, you have to put the courage, uh, before the confidence sometimes, because you may not always feel confident. But you have to pro- project that emotion, that image, that persona. Jericho came in uh, from WCW, killed it the first night in. Uh, had the confidence, had the belief in himself. Wasn't a big guy, and nobody wanted him to be uh, a, a top guy it, because those spots were all sewn up. But you have to understand and and believe in yourself that you are where you you're a top guy that that you deserve what you're going after and then you have to produce you have to have the talent so all these all these elements of uh confidence uh be brave enough to to step forward and and that's a that's a huge aspect i learned very later on in my career, um, you have to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable enough and, and also learn that, that people are going to judge you. People are going to critique you. People are going to try everything they can, uh, to knock you down because when they say it's lonely at the top, uh, pardon me. I, I just happened to stumble across a Shawn Michaels uh, interview from last year where he's talking about the Montreal incident. And he said he found himself one day realizing that he was the most hated guy in the business. And he said, you don't start this business out to, to have your goal as being the most hated guy in the biggest asshole in the business. That's not what he started out being. But he soon realized that in order to get ahead, in order to, to accomplish what he really wanted to accomplish, you're, you're going to make a lot of people mad, and you're going you're gonna to ruffle feathers, and uh, 
you have to ask yourself, is it is it them or is it you? Um, because it's a ruthless business. It, business is ruthless if you, if you want to succeed. And I, I wish it wasn't, and I think we all wish it wasn't. And, you know, I, I know people who who lie, cheat, and steal. I'm not saying everybody does. I'm not saying you have to do that to to necessarily be a success. But I do know that, uh, you know, everybody or anybody, th- th- there's an old saying over here too who says if you – a coach, a football coach said one time, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, true or not um, – if you have inside information on your opponent, if you have inside information on your competition uh, that you can use to your advantage, why wouldn't you if you're looking to get the advantage? I mean, it, that, that's why countries have spies. That's why countries, mm. uh, you know, look for for weaknesses. It's, it's and, interesting you say that, Tom. I've been uh, I'm, I've been looking into a lot of kind of uh, old philosophies, and I don't know if you've read any, even like condensed versions of the Art of War. Uh, yes, it talks, I have. It talks about a lot yeah. of what you're talking about, which is you know, spies are integral to winning. Um, it talks about, you know, you attack with ferocious speed, which is something I always did in my career. I, was, I always found, like, it's better to have, you know, 10 great things that you do in quick succession rather than, like, so, for example, 10 great matches in a short space of time. People go, oh, they, they've really improved. Whereas if they were yeah. spread over, like, the course of a year, it wouldn't have the same impact. But with the spies thing as well, I, I read something like The Art of War and I'm thinking, like, on one hand, I wonder, is it possible to be world champion without being an asshole to somebody? Uh, prob- probably not. No. But, but ethically, it's almost like if you, if, if someone is coming after you, then it's like, at some point, if you just kind of allow it and allow it and allow it without any retort, you're probably ethically not doing the right thing. It's I think it's right. wrestling. It's it's very difficult ethically to think about like you know when do you cross that line of actually right? I, where is the line for integrity? You know, I mean, it's it's a tough one. Well, well, it, it is a tough one. And, and on a side note, I would recommend the Art of War, even the abridged version or unabridged version. Excuse me. Uh, it for anyone, it changed my life. Yeah, it genuinely I agree. Did. I agree, and it gives you insight not into life in this business. It it really is. Um, Tom, can it, I give you another one real quick? There's one sure. called the Forty Eight Rules of Power, and it's have most, it too. Yeah, most yes. popular book in prisons, and I yes. I wrote an article for Ring of Honor about the two books that professional wrestlers need to read, and the Forty Eight Rules of Power was number one. The I, a girl in Tampa gave me the 48 laws of power after I just got done uh, giving an hour and a half talk to the, to the kids. And the next day she brought it. She says, look in this book. A lot of the things you said are right in here. She, she had them underlined for me, highlighted for me, excuse me. And, uh, I, I hadn't read it, but it's common sense. And at the same time, once you read it and you see it in front of your face and you go, well, wait a minute. Of course that makes sense. And yeah. and it is a psychological game. And and I agree. Those are two of the, two of the uh, best books. The 48 Laws of Power is hard to read if you don't understand the old-time stories in it. And, and, and you can't get into it. But There's you a grasp- concise version. I've got the concise version. So maybe that's why it was so easy for me to read. But it's it's really – the concise version is really small. And for beginners but what that want the knowledge, I would recommend that. Right. Right, and it's all common sense. But but getting back to the point of of can you do it ethically, morally, in uh, all, all those all those 
things we really would like to think we are? Well, we can, but you're always going to have somebody behind us who, who thinks the other way. And uh, it, it's all up to what are you willing to do and are you willing to pay the price? You know, there, there's another another book that I, I found in um, – uh, we're going we're gonna to go on, but i got to say this. Uh, it, it, it's it's kind of off beat, but, you know, I went, to, I went to visit my brother a couple weeks ago in Stanford. He has these uh, files and these books and these things from Paul Bosch he just bought uh, from his estate. And there's a book said uh, that's, that talks about life. It says, been there, done that. The, the meaning of life may surprise you. In the end, no matter all your riches, all the things you've done in the business, you know, uh, the Montreal screw job, the, the, the screw this guy, screw that guy. In the end, can you live with yourself? Will you really be satisfied? Will you really be happy? The only guy you got to look at in the mirror is yourself. Can you do it? Will you do it? Um, you know, I've done a lot of horrible things in my life, believe it or not, but I find that hard I, to believe. I do. Find I, that hard well, to believe. okay. But, but <laughs> I've, I've lived a life that, that, uh, looking back on it, you have to ask yourself, was it all worth it? I, I, I never, I never had time for stooges. I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. I just wouldn't. But in the business, you look around, you see who's the successful, who is the successful guys. And then you look at them and this, these days, and, and they're not happy. Nobody's happy. I didn't expect to live past 30 years old. Honest to God, wow. I say that. Yeah, I, I really wasn't looking forward. Didn't care. Was I was going to be in wrestling my whole life and, and then do whatever happens, happens. And, and that's fine. But when you get to the point you live longer than you really think, uh, then you have to ask yourself, what is it in this life that you want? In professional wrestling, when you're living in the moment, you've got to figure out, and ask yourself, what are you willing to do that you can live with yourself and you can accept it and, and you have no problems? Even if you have problems, you know, you have struggles. And, and I think everybody has this uh, mechanism inside knowing right from wrong. Yeah. You, you have this compass. You know, you, you know if it's, if it's right. You know, if you're married and you, you know if you, if you commit adultery, it, it's, it's, there's going to be a uh, – something hanging over you if you have any kind of conscience at all any kind of conscience it's the same thing if you screw one of your best friends or or somebody in business or or you're a compulsive liar if you don't have that moral compass or you don't have these these uh uh barriers uh to to follow then you kind of uh live in your own life and and you don't care so and you have people like that but and unfortunately, is a, lot of a lot of the times it can be a competitive advantage to be completely ruthless and a total asshole, unfortunately, in business. But I, yes. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, for anyone with a conscience, you got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. I did want to say one thing. I just wanted to return to one of your points, how you were talking about, you know, you didn't want to be a, a stooge. You were looking around and saying, who's really successful? I wanted to, to round this episode off. I wanted to ask you something and see if you'd found the same or if you, you know, agree or disagree. I've had situations, and I'm not going to name names, where I've worked with someone who was on television, but not by any means a superstar. So just, you know, just had, you know, congrats, had done well for themselves, but not a superstar. When I worked with this person, uh, we were supposed to have a serious match. We had a feud building up to it. 
and in this match this person says right the match is going to be two minutes long i'm going to do all this comedy stuff and then you're going to hit me with one move and then it's just going to be over and i was like you know, we've been feuding for a while. Like, do you not think we could maybe open it with a, you know, a lockup rather than comedy? Because it's like, you know, it's supposed to be like an athletic competition. And he just went, no. He went, I've I've been on TV. I've wrestled here. I've done this. I've done that. I know what I'm doing. I've been in the business longer than you. So that's the only thing I'm willing to do. That's the one time that's ever happened to me. However, and what I found is that person didn't, you know, reach a huge amount of success but then when the, i think about the people i have worked with that have reached huge levels of success they're always much more collaborative like kurt angle was genuinely like you know how can i help you like what what can we do to help you and oh this would be cool and and, and this would be great if we did this here and he wanted to work with me and there's other you know top talents like people who have been to the top like you know wade barrett and cody rhodes and you know people like that who and i found the top top people always tend to be more collaborative and, and in some ways nicer is have you found that to be the case or uh yeah yeah in in some cases because the some guys not who all. Have, right right the guys who have the confidence in their ability to go out there and make someone better look better and be better and and raise them up uh that's the talent and that's the guys like a, like a Kurt, especially, or Cody, or Wade Barrett, who's a great example of a guy who who understands if he goes out and does comedy and, and for two minutes without the lockups or anything like, anything like that, then you guys do one move and you're done. Who have you beat? What have you done? There's nothing accomplished. There. Just it shows nothing that you. It shows that you didn't want to do anything. It shows that you couldn't couldn't do anything whether you can or can't it shows that you couldn't do anything perception is you could have gone out and had two minutes you could have locked up you could could have done a couple moves could have made it athletic could have made it better but you chose not to the reason i say you or they the person who said i've been on tv i've been in business longer than you well then he should have known he should have known going out there having more experience having had all that airtime, if he can make somebody else look great, it makes him look even better knowing that he can uh, make someone in the ring look so much better than they are. That's why I think the guys who go out and uh, enhancement talent, who is great enhancement talent, like a George South uh, or like a, you know, a Brooklyn Brawler, someone who can make someone yeah. look so much better understanding what the match is about and and that speaks volumes for them even if it's the other guy coming up with all the ideas because they're they're letting this happen they're going to get the credit because the guys in charge are going to look towards the veteran to see what he's going to do with this match and that's how that's what i found especially in the executive branch that people will say well who should we put him with who can take care of him uh, and, and one of the reasons I, I was able to go on the road with the rock, Occam, Mark Henry and other guys is because I knew my role and those guys hadn't had a match and I wasn't going to go out there to do anything except help them. Yeah. And you have to have the confidence. You can't have, let your ego talk to you and say, Hey man, if I let this guy do yeah. something to me, I'm going to look weak. That's not, that's not what it is. Uh, if you have the confidence to go out there and say, Hey, Everything he can do, I'm going to make it look that much better. And not only will it make me look great, it'll elevate him and they'll remember that and you'll be a more valuable commodity in the business.
Awesome. Well, that'll do us for uh, this week, Tom. I want to thank you very much again for joining us. Um, thanks, everyone, uh, for listening. Um, really appreciate it. Um, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.